Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Ideas Factory. On this episode of The Ideas Factory, we will look at President Joe Biden's South Asia visit, the Quad Summit, the uh, uh, the formation of new organizations and institutions and how does that really impact the regional power balance in the region? What does it mean for the region? Joining me on this episode is Professor Harsh Pant and I'm Nagma. You're watching the Ideas Factory on the ORF platform. Welcome, Harsh, to the Ideas Factory. Uh, I would like to start with President Joe Biden's South Asia visit, his visit to Japan. And this was the se- during his visit, it was the second in-person summit of the Quad leaders. Um, while this summit was taking place, it was also interesting that China and Russia were also coming together and China-Russia ties are also getting stronger. So uh, how is this uh, I mean, what what really has been the outcome of Quad in terms of reshaping the the power balance in the region, and how does the China Russia tie really impact that? Uh, thanks, Nagma. I think uh, you know the the intent behind Mr. Biden's visit was to uh, underscore that Indo Pacific remains one of the most important geographies for American foreign policy, and despite what is happening in Ukraine. Uh, America is is not giving up its focus on the Indo-Pacific. So I think this visit, this trip to two important allies in South Korea and Japan, and holding uh, this this Quad uh, Summit in in Tokyo, as well as unveiling of the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, all of them underscored the commitment that perhaps uh, Washington is putting on the table, uh, and uh, trying to uh, reshape its own credibility in the region. Uh, which uh, there have been questions about America's ability to continue to engage with the Indo-Pacific in the light of what is happening in Ukraine. There has been questions about Biden administration's uh, own Indo-Pacific approach and whether they have it in, uh, you know, in, in Washington at the moment to continue to invest in the region. And I think Mr. Biden uh, is sort of uh, underscoring that uh, yes, the challenges are there in, in Europe in, in the Eurasian context, but China remains the principal challenger. And I think that was also underscored by a recent uh, speech that Secretary of State Blinken gave on China, which is considered to be a watered-down version of America's China strategy under Biden. So I think all in all, they were trying to put all these uh, jigsaw pieces together and trying to underscore the reality of America's foreign policy posture in the Indo-Pacific. And I think uh, a number of... uh, you know, aspects to this to this engagement were visible. One is to basically, uh, once again, reiterate American commitment to traditional allies like Japan and South Korea. Uh, and I think that that has been done. Japan is willing to take on more responsibility. Japan is redefining its defense posture in the Indo-Pacific. There was also this attempt to come to terms with this reality that uh, in, in, in the Indo-Pacific, the contestation is not simply geopolitical but it is essentially geoeconomic in nature. And therefore, the unveiling of the Indo-Pacific economic framework uh, has been a very important development in that regard. And finally, the Quad Summit brings in uh, the larger framework in in a region which is devoid of institutions at the moment, uh, or credible, effective institutional frameworks at the moment, again, underscoring that Quad is emerging as an important platform. And Quad is unique, Quad is interesting because India is part of that engagement. 
Uh, Japan, Australia, and America have been traditional alliance partners, but it is India's entry into the Quad that makes Quad uh, enticing. It makes Quad interesting, and it makes Quad more credible uh, institution framework or a platform under the present circumstances of geopolitical contestation with China. What kind of challenges Harsh Bhat uh, Quad is facing from the China Russia ties, or uh, because uh, when we saw President Biden's uh, visit was almost concluding, at that time China and Russia were engaging in a joint exercise. So China Russia ties are also reshaping the great power relations in the in the region, and Quad is much more relevant from a regional perspective. What kind of challenge does it face? I think uh, some v- very serious strategic uh, thinking is required now, not only by the regional players, but I would say even by India in, in terms of what is happening. Uh, because as you are mentioning, uh, uh, Japan, uh, uh, you know, uh, we saw how China and Russia came together for joint exercises, uh, air exercises, right at the time uh, when uh, Quad was assembling and Quad was uh, and Quad summit was was, was being undertaken by. Uh, Japan clearly signaling the intent by the, by 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 China and Russia that their partnership is also uh, is getting strengthened, and they are looking at Quad as an oppositional platform. They are looking at Quad as as a platform which is trying to uh, contain China, and uh, they they are building up their own uh, relationship primarily now uh, in, in opposition to the Quad. So I think this this would mean that, uh, and of course for Russia, the Ukraine crisis has been is going to be an inflection point, and the ties with China are only expected to grow. So what does it mean for the region? Uh, I think it means that Japan, that Russia's role in the region will have to be uh, rethought. That we have already seen Japan, for example, was reaching out to Russia, um, for has been trying to reach out to Russia for a very long time, but now it it has given up. India's ties with Russia are under strain because of Ukraine and because of what is happening in the Indo-Pacific. So I think some difficult questions there as to how do you manage this power transition in the region and at a time when Quad is becoming uh, much more vocal, much more open, much more uh, effective uh, and a credible force in the region and much more attractive force in the region because it, it, this is Indo-Pacific does not really have institution an institutional architecture that can manage this turbulence. And for many, Quad is seen uh, as a nucleus of that wider uh, arrangement. So whether it would be an easy transition for Quad going forward or whether it's going to be very turbulent, it still remains to be seen. But I think the intent from the four Quad members was to make it a platform where the, the four countries can offer an alternative uh, uh, you know, economic and alternative uh, uh, political framework in the region, which requires these kind of frameworks, which requires these kind of uh, arrangements. And of course, Quad is uh, Quad members have been trying to insist that look, this is this is much more than simply about China. This is about yes. how the region can manage health crisis, how the region can manage economic turbulence, how the region can manage uh, deficit in infra- infrastructure and connectivity, how the region can frame certain norms and standards in the region. So I think this is uh, for for the for for US, Japan, Australia, and India. Uh, the idea is to create something that not only challenges China's normative principles in the region, but also creates something uh, where other countries will automatically, which other countries will automatically join, uh, rather than being seen as a coercive approach that that some would say China has taken in the region. It's interesting, as you mentioned, there is no institutional architecture uh, to manage. Uh, the region, you know, when we talk of Indo-Pacific. So how do you see the Indo-Pacific Economic Forum in this light? Or would that 
uh, with this forum provide that institutional framework which is so needed in the region to manage this region the indo-pacific region also because uh, as you had mentioned that india's presence in the quad uh, is what makes it more interesting and more enticing india is part of this indo-pacific economic forum and china is not remember india had walked out of rcep uh, where i mean because china was there but now this excludes china and india's presence there so what, what kind of alternatives will this or how will it help the indo pacific economic forum uh, i think uh, it's a good start by the biden administration because i think finally uh, washington is recognizing that they need to put forward a strong economic architecture in the region Uh, china is powerful in the indo pacific china is a dominant player in the indo pacific in economic terms and 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 china is so attractive to a number of countries because it it is presenting an economic alternative uh, to the region and i think therefore for uh, for america now for biden administration now to come to terms with the with this reality after the trump administration pulled out of the of the tpp is an important development uh it still is sketchy in many ways uh, you know india in indo pacific economic framework as it was unveiled um uh in 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 tokyo by the by 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 us president still uh, remains uh, a work in progress still something that i think needs more uh, concrete measures uh, but uh, I, for many countries in the region traditional american partners in the region that were waiting for america to uh, articulate its, its economic its geoeconomic response i think this is an important start uh, what Indo-Pacific economic framework is not is that it is not uh, a traditional trade agreement, and that I think America has made it very clear. America's domestic politics does not allow America to come to uh, you know come to the table and offer something like TPP, you know, uh, and now we are talking of CPTPP. So, so America is not in that position to offer um, tariff reductions, market access, etc. what america can offer uh, is and and what america is trying to offer with the help of other like-minded countries in the region uh, is a framework uh, which can work towards uh, uh, you know setting certain no- certain standards and norms in the in, in the region whether it is digital trade whether it is uh, environmental standards labor standards etc and i think that is a that is a good development in, in, as uh, this is sowing the seeds of of the the regional governance architecture and if and for india in particular i think this is an important development because india is part of this uh, will be part of this from its very inception uh, india is not part of the larger economic framework because we are not part of rcep we are not part of uh, tpp and cptpp uh, and we don't intend to be so i think this framework uh, allows india uh, to be an important uh, part of 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 the larger governance and when it when you talk of governance when you talk of setting the standards from the beginning i think for india to be part of this table uh, is certainly going to be an important development and is already uh, uh, you know uh, making india an important part of the way institutional architecture in the region is evolving so i think for india so, it is it hmm. is good but for america there is much more that america will be, will have to do to convince the region that uh, there there you know there is real substance to uh, indo pacific economic framework all right so you're saying it holds a lot of promise uh, for india also because uh, it probably helps india to build closer ties with other countries in the region and as it give another chance to uh, for india to pivot uh, for, you know for its pivot to indo pacific absolutely and i think that is uh, again india is uh, 
uh, has been doing a lot. India has been uh, engaging with, the, with its Indo-Pacific like-minded countries uh, on a very substantive basis. But what in, uh, India's weak point has been that India is not part uh, of, of the larger trade arrangements. And I think that uh, an, an economic tie is being so vital to the way Indo-Pacific is evolving and will evolve. This gives India a foothold in that conversation. And uh, another interesting development that uh, took place in the past week uh, is um, India's formal outreach to the Taliban government in Afghanistan. It was a surprise. It was unannounced, though. We know that India has had a lot of goodwill across spectrum in Afghanistan. Um, India has been providing, even after the Taliban government took over, India has been providing humanitarian assistance, be it COVID vaccine, be it wheat, be it polio vaccines, all kinds of help. Uh, but the recent visit by the Indian delegation to Afghanistan uh, how how do we see that? There have been questions that are we kind of recognizing or giving recognition to Taliban or uh, the other thing is that Taliban is very keen to establish a contact with the Indian government because it sees that there is not much uh, promise of help coming out of, of debt ridden economically, uh, uh, you know, uh, in a turmoil. Pakistan, politically and economic turmoil in Pakistan. So it does not really see any promise from Pakistan. It's really important for the Taliban government to maintain that kind of relationship with India. But what about India's outreach? Nangma, I don't know if you recall, but you know, ages ago when we used to, when 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 the government had fallen in in uh, in, in, in Afghanistan, and we, we were discussing the future of, of Afghanistan, I think one of the points we were discussing at that point, uh, at that at that moment, was that look, uh, yes, it, for for many it was doom and gloom. Uh, for many, it was uh, suddenly that Pakistan has won. Uh, but you know, there was a warning that look, this is this is uh, uh, this is going to be a long process, and. Uh, Pakistan's win, that the fact that Taliban came to power does, did not really imply much given that Pakistan itself was imploding. That Pakistan's capacity to do much about its so-called win in Afghanistan was really uh, you know, a sham. It, there, was, there was nothing there that Pakistan could have done given its own vulnerabilities and exactly that, that has, it has turned out to be that way. That India cannot be ignored has been a reality in the region for quite some time. You know that whether it is Taliban 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0, the reality is that today uh, India is is in a different league compared to Pakistan. You know, uh, people often uh, used to compare. Oh, you know that this is going to be uh, 1992-1990s redo. Uh, but certainly, if you look at India and Pakistan today, uh, there is you know there is no com comparison. Pakistan is imploding. Pakistan's politics is, is, is divisive. Pakistan's politics is unable to respond uh, to the local challenges. Pakistan's economy is, is in shambles. So for Pakistan to do anything about its so-called victory in Afghanistan uh, was always going to be very, very uh, difficult and uh, and. Uh, uh, very difficult to manage, but and, but I think the moment Taliban came to power, they also realized that they, you know the, the region has changed and the world has changed. And as they sought, as they've been trying to seek greater recognition, they also know that without India's help, they won't be able to manage a lot of the uh, you know lot of their own internal problems. And what India did very carefully and I think very effectively is to leverage its own role as a developmental partner. 
as a partner which keeps the you know the afghan people at the heart of its engagement so therefore uh, the humanitarian aid the, the vaccine diplomacy uh, whether it was uh, you know uh, the, the support on on uh, with wheat the food crisis all of that had to do with you know how india can build capacity in the region and i think uh, just uh, uh, recently very very recently we have heard taliban even saying uh, mullah omar san saying that look there is no harm if we even send uh, afghan soldiers to india for training so there is you know there is a you know a change in, in in the mindset there is there is an evolution of taliban in the in the direction that india needs to be engaged with india is a part uh, india as a is a neighboring country cannot be ignored taliban 1.0 could have done everything they wanted to do with pakistan but this is neither ta- the age of taliban 1.0 nor nor this is the age of pakistan uh, in the region uh, with pakistan's credibility being at its lowest ebb so i think there are a number of issues which have given india an entry into this discussion uh, into its engagement with with the taliban india is still not recognizing the taliban because no one else is also doing that uh, countries across the world are still testing the waters are still trying to ensure what the taliban can do on on substantive grounds before they can move towards any substantive engagement but i think there is no harm and that's what india is doing in reaching out to the taliban and trying to get a sense of what is happening within afghanistan and how india can help ordinary afghan men and women who really want uh, help at a time when they are facing enormous pressures from multiple dimensions and taliban's own ability to govern uh, has been found to be very very ineffective so i think yeah. given all that india has made this outreach uh, and this hopefully Uh, will lead to uh, something more substantive and hopefully this will lead to also india's own concerns being addressed which as you would know very recent report of the un also suggests that jesh mohammed and lashkar e taiba are still operating from talib from afghanistan territory so i think india needs to ensure that india's interests are protected that india does not become a target uh, from afghanistan for, uh, as far as these groups are concerned but by and large in terms of in terms of the geopolitical reordering in the region india has made it very clear that it will engage but it will engage on its own terms uh, with the with the government in kabul so india is engaging uh, strategically and india has always had the in, the goodwill of the afghan people at um, at the center of policy towards afghanistan right now also as you say india's engagement with the taliban has been very strategic and keeping its own interests in mind uh, on that note uh, I, let's uh, look back at how you know the current government's foreign policy has shaped in these last 8 years we've had celebration of c- completion of 8 years of modi government and various developmental projects and and gdp and the economy but when we look at or talk about the foreign policy how has india emerged in terms of its if you look at the neighbors or if we look at china and the us uh, the foreign policy have you seen any major transition during these 8 years i would say yes and i would say that on a, a, a at a number of levels you know we have seen uh, some of the some some interesting developments if you are if you are looking at indian foreign policy trajectory uh, one is uh, i think to to begin with and since we are talking about this issue at a time uh, when the world is grappling with the ukraine crisis you see how india has positioned its, itself on the ukraine crisis without being defensive of why it is doing what it is doing so you see uh, you know dr jay shankar's statements uh, across the world you also see um, uh, india not shying away from a robust debate on its own role in the region and giving it back uh, to its critics that look uh, uh, you know this is uh, as i think uh, 
as was mentioned, that India's priorities uh, will be defined by India's interests. India's position on Ukraine has been defined by what India, uh, how India considers its own role in the region and in the world. And that's exactly one of the big changes that you know that despite the the uh, the pressure on India to side one way or another, if you look at India's position on Ukraine, it has been very carefully calibrated. And uh, you know what what it ensures is that it makes it very clear to the world that India will respond to such challenges on its own terms. And interestingly, what has happened is despite despite that crisis, India has been able to uh, strengthen its ties with European countries, uh, with the US, uh, with Japan, with Australia, despite differences. An acknowledgement that there are differences, but those differences does not mean that strategic mapping of your convergence does not take place. So I think that has been one interesting aspect of the evolution in terms of how India has uh, projected itself on the global mm-hmm. stage with a degree of confidence, with a degree of reassurance, and with very clearly articulating what it wants from the global order for its for the for the sustenance of its own interests. I think on, on other aspects, if you if you see, for example, China, uh, China, uh, uh, the, the Modi government uh, started off engaging the Chinese government and the results were not very favorable. And after Galwan, uh, there has been a significant shift, a significant inflection point. And that has been I, that is going to lead and that is already leading to a significant shift in the way India thinks about its own relationships, India thinks about its own domestic capacities, India thinks about its own global engagements, India thinks about its own global role. So I think China uh, and uh, we are now looking at China and telling China that, look, China, uh, you know, uh, there, there are substantive problems in, in, in India-China engagement, but it, the ball is in Chinese court in some ways uh, to, to redefine or to, to come to terms with that engagement. So that is, I think, an important development in the sense that India is now saying that we have tried and China has not helped us. But and that trial period ends now. Now, China should work its way through to make India a partner. India will not make take any additional steps. India will in, India wants to ensure that its interests are protected and preserved. And I think third point, which are, which uh, which is about neighborhood, that there has been, uh, I think, a, a distinct shift, and we have talked about this over the last uh, several sessions, uh, towards the East. This idea that Pakistan's centrality to, in India's foreign policy has been broken. And that uh, that is an important, I think, change, because for a long time, in fact, for the last 70 years, uh, we were told that, look, Pakistan is critical to India, that engagement with Pakistan is very important, that you have to engage with Pakistan, you have to see how uh, you know uh, how you can find a modus vivendi with pakistan because if you don't resolve pakistan your global uh, global credentials are not taken seriously i think india has turned it on its head in the last few years we have not engaged with pakistan and yet our foreign policy has have, has become more ambitious it has had a larger footprint it has it has been more credible so i think this you know this binary that india has to constantly look at pakistan and see what it can do with pakistan to ensure that its global footprint is effective that aspect has been broken, and I think that has liberated India, Indian foreign policy in many ways, to invest in other geographies, to think of other other neighbors more productively, and to articulate a more robust response to the challenges that are ever evolving. And finally, I think the focus has been, as and, and this is where we started our conversation with, uh, the focus has concretely shifted to the Indo-Pacific. And that Indo- India and the Indo-Pacific are linked. Without India, there won't be Indo-Pacific. And Indo-Pacific won't have a rational, uh, you know, a substantive future if India is not invested in the Indo-Pacific. 
So I think what we have, uh, what we are now doing is investing uh, diplomatically, economically, even uh, uh, in terms of militarily, uh, substantively in the way we look at this vast maritime geography as the key locus of our foreign policy. So I think a lot of these developments have been, uh, you know, a, a part of, of this uh, of this last several years of Modi government. Some of that uh, are larger structural changes uh, in the region, uh, in the world. Some of that are uh, about the way this government has articulated and responded to some of the challenges. But together, they have given a picture of a wider foreign policy spectrum, uh, which is evolving, which is more reassured, and which which articulates a more confident assertion by India of its national interests. All right. So if you look at India's foreign policy trajectory in the last eight years, it has been evolving and it has become more robust. It is not uh, defensive, as Harsh just mentioned. And that's something which is a positive. If we look at what uh, India's stand was in uh, during the Ukraine crisis, we've uh, seen how India and China relations uh, have uh, evolved. Also, Galwan was an inflection point. So if one thing that has uh, changed during these eight years is also that Pakistan's centrality in India's uh, foreign policy is also broken. So that's it from us on this episode of the Ideas Factory. But I would like to remind Mind all our viewers that you can send in your questions to ask your questions send in your comments and we would like to or we would uh, love to take your questions during the next episode of the ideas factory so stay tuned in thank you for watching thank you for tuning in to policy pod the orf podcast please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes